0: Today's episode is called We Are Not Supposed to Live Like This, all about the kind of chronic disconnection we feel in our societies and how so often our relationship problems are linked to this rather than anything kind of intrinsic or inherently to do with our relationship. I have put together a little worksheet which is um, filled with prompts about connection reconnection and feeling more kind of rooted in our um, in our smaller communities and so if this is useful to you you can download it there's a link in the show notes all right off to the episode Hello lovely ones. Welcome back to the Grounded Families podcast. Thanks for being here and Happy New Year. I hope you had a good break. I hope it was a break and was free of illness. I know lots of people had illness. I want to be a bit more active in this space and share a little bit more here on these podcasts and um, share a bit more of the work I'm doing and the things I'm thinking about, and hopefully you find these helpful. I always say to people, if there's anything you ever want to know more about, please get in touch and you can email me or send me a message on Instagram. I love hearing things like this about what's useful to people and what they're curious about. But today I wanted to talk about a probably the most like responded to post that I've ever done on Instagram, which was called, we are not supposed to live like this and it really struck a chord for so many of you. And so I thought I'd expand a bit on it, because there's only so much nuance that happens in a an in Instagram post. But yeah, I'd, I had so many messages and emails after that from people that just said, Ugh, life feels hard, like the way we're doing this feels hard. And the general sense is that people are always kind of chasing their tail, and that you have tiny periods of things feeling okay that you've caught your breath and then you back under again and so I suppose part of the work of that normalizing that this is how our world is for now but not feeling like you have to buy into all of it and so really getting very clear about how it is that you would like to live within the constraints of the reality of your own life and letting go of a lot of what's possible and then calling in a lot around support and, you know, like what we need to, not just to function and survive, but actually to thrive and have meaningful lives. So yeah, if you could just keep that in your mind, thinking about that as we speak. So I think one of the biggest causes for the fact that our lives have changed over the past like 300 years and those things are likely to do with first the industrial revolution and then the nuclear family i'm not going into all the history of it but the nuclear i mean the industrial revolution happened from around the middle of the 17th century i think until about the middle of the 18th century and what that did to us kind of globally is that it prioritized production and extraction as a priority for life and so this shifted in terms of what people were were doing in their lives what was the purpose of their lives and so yeah extraction and produ- productivity and production became the most important thing that humans decided what needed to happen with their lives and that led to all sorts of things in terms of extraction of the land, abuse of people and slavery and all sorts of kind of global trade as a result of that and then much later I think it's only in the 1920s that you see that the nuclear family takes over as the most common form of family at least in the US but before that people were living much in a much more sort of intergenerational way this is obviously very Western focused, and this is my experience as well. But yeah, just to be clear that not all of the world lives like this, but parts of the world that struggle the most are, are communities that live in this nuclear family structure. So most often that was quite heteronormative with a like a male and female, like mother and father, and then children, the 2.5 children. Roles were very delineated in terms of gender, and the male partner would leave the house and earn money. So his job was productivity and bringing in money for the household. And then the woman's job would have been to stay at home, to tend to children, to have lots of children, and to run a household, And that was unpaid labor. So again, that's like the distinction of like women worked, but they weren't remunerated in the same way. And this is like the beginning of where these stories come in around the unpaid labor of being at home as a caregiver. But what we see also, I think, like looking back is that now we know how difficult it is to have relationships in this isolation. And we know, I think we're only just getting to the depths of it but how difficult it is to raise children in this way on our own in isolation because we are such social learners we learn everything by seeing and feeling so we like observe what's around us and we compare it to other things that we see and then we'll defer to yeah what we what we know to be the most the most kind of common experience and that's how we learn so what we see and what we feel And what we've done by putting ourselves into this nuclear family structure is that lots of our, lots of the intimacies of our daily lives are hidden. And so we imagine what other people live like and we read books and we watch TV and we have a sense, but we don't know, we don't have that same seeing and feeling experience. And so, I mean, this does all sorts of things, but first and foremost it makes us feel lonely and it makes us feel unsure so we have the sense of are we doing this in the right way like is this is this how we raise children is this how we do marriage is this how we are in relationship with each other and just that like that kind of gnawing feeling of "Mm, not really sure (laughs) I'd like some reassurance here and so obviously in some families this is much more this is spoken about and there's language for this but in many many families there would have been no language around like raising children, around what it feels like in relationship when we suddenly have children and how that changes so many aspects of our lives. And there was no narrative about this or not a narrative that we could grab onto. There's so many little ways in which I think this pops up. And I hear this often from clients and I've experienced it myself in raising my own kids. Of I think it does something to us being alone with children, that we treat children differently as well. And we start to think of them as some sort of a project or that we have to like administer parenting to them, you know, and, and actually these are tiny humans and they are, they're not ours. They're not ours to like form and mold, but rather ours to spend time with and to understand and to get to know, but something of the shift into productivity and extraction, I think has bled into the way we have children too and the sense of like what do we how do we fill our days what is the purpose what do we do what do we teach children first we do a puzzle because that helps their maths then we take them outside for 20 minutes of exercise it just becomes very kind of rigid and and imposing so there's lots of things that happen because of that but the loneliness to me feels so important like to acknowledge and to think about in our own parenting and what happens for you when you are lonely like how do you do you go inward do you try to sort of seek people out what does this do to your relationship with your children are you in some senses asking too much of them as well that children become yeah our company in a way that is maybe not their job so all sorts of like really nuanced things that can happen but the loneliness really sticks out to me because of course, children are social learners as well, and they learn everything from seeing and feeling, that we, we need wider communities for them. It takes so much pressure off us that we don't have to like administer or teach them everything that they will need to know, that they can see there are variations in the way people live, or there are, you know, different people experience things in different ways. And children don't need to be told that, If they're in wide enough communities they can see that and they can absorb that sort of in their day it doesn't need to be this kind of taught focus a lot of i mean like if you look at schools and the way we teach kids there as well it's much of the same thing it's like a lot of the things we're having to teach children explicitly is as a result of them there's like a vacuum somewhere in their lives where they're even like the most wonderfully cared for children it's not about deprivation but children don't have exposure to the benefits of this like wider social circle and this obviously then trickles down sort of generation upon generation and I think of it so much you know like in those early stages of marriage when there's lots of kind of social chat around falling in love and the ceremony of getting married to somebody in various sorts of ways and then there's just the the vacuum of silence of you know what's spoken about and I mean my mum saying the first year of marriage is hard but I didn't know in what way or really what that meant but apart from that there was no real conversation in the groups or people my age around what it meant to be married and like what would happen next (laughs) and you know what would change and what would shift and yeah just constantly this sense of isolation around we just see what happens and i think that again living in like intergenerational communities that you get a sense you you watch people like as people would have gone through like ritual ceremonies around marriage and togetherness That you would see things, you would see how relationships were altered when someone had to work or you would see how relationships were altered when they had children or when one of the children died or when one of the partners died. We would have seen, you know, like people nurtured through illness or people nurtured through childbirth and pregnancy and so many things would have just become automatically absorbed into okay we we know what to do next but because we're not seeing any of that it's just become this mystery and none of it's hard or complicated or difficult but it's the same it's the same sort of story like if you haven't been held and contained in a particular way that it's very hard to know what to do in those situations and so Yeah, I think just this kind of restlessness and and dislocation from families. I know in COVID people were very excited about Zoom and that we could see each other in a different way. And I think that sometimes we kind of conflate technology and what it brings us in terms of like the visuals of people and that's great. And there's a like a semi closeness in that we can hear someone's voice and potentially see their face. But Again, we still miss out on like the texture of what's happening in their lives. So we only hear about what they bring us and they only, you know, talk about what's comfortable to them or what feels okay to share. We're not just seeing these things and having them visible. And so what this does is that if we have experiences in our relationships or as parents that don't make sense to us or we haven't seen before, that that can feel quite frightening for people around oh, I'm not really sure if this is supposed to feel like this. Is this normal? Am I, you know, am I doing this wrong? And then people will make meaning out of that. So depending on all sorts of things like to do with their life and their parenting, their own experiences, they will generate meaning about what this means. But so often people make it mean that they're not good at relationships or they just don't know what to do or that there's just something very wrong with their partner. (laughs) And it's like, It's their fault that this is not working and this is not like feeling connected. And yeah, we can just go down these very, very lonely rabbit holes, which serve to like further disconnect us. And because there's not a social dialogue around things like this, that there's also lots of shame. And so we talk about it even less. And I would say over the past sort of 10 years, this has changed quite dramatically. And that's been such a relief for people, but it's still not the same as the seeing and the feeling like we talk about these things and that's really important but imagine if we could see and feel what this looks like kind of over time another sort of one of the pressures and i won't list the whole post but go and have a look at it if you like to but was that you know the way that we work in sort of nine to five full-time careers is only was only really designed for men that were leaving they were leaving the house knowing that children would be cared for, everything would be done, like food would be prepared, everything would be done. And and now we've tried to sort of replicate that with our partners and so that if we are having a two-parent household, two people are working nine to five jobs and then expecting that we still have to do the role of a whole other person <laughs> that is no longer at home. And I know that we know this in an intellectual way, but I think sometimes it really doesn't drop down into our bodies around how impossible this actually is, is that we're just adding roles and jobs to a tiny family structure that really would have been done by a whole family group and and then feeling like there's something wrong with us or that we're just not coping. But the actual the whole setup is just rigged and it's it's not possible. I just I just don't think we can continue to you know, along the lines of kind of extraction with our human lives. Like we just can't keep extracting from ourselves and expecting to live kind of healthy lives. And also the way that the world is structured, we need to be financially secure to survive. And so people are stuck and torn between those two things. And that's no small, that's no small problem. So really just to think about the ways in which your life is set up and the demands on your life that, you know again you would have been supported by various people but you might you might not have that support you might not have even the psychological safety of knowing if something were to happen these are the people i could call and so this is all very like difficult and and sad and hard and i think it's important not to stop there so not to get stuck in the hopelessness of it but to go beyond that and to say okay like this is not ideal this is like not a good way of living in terms of like extraction of human energy is not limitless. We are like at once very strong and also very fragile beings. And I think that get to know the limits of your energy and what's possible for your body and your lifestyle and your relationship and your children. And that will just look so different, you know, for different families and different people. But I really think it's important that we start to think about our communities and to pour some energy into that so pour some of the energy in which we're just you know pouring down the plug in our tiny families but to invest some of that in a wider way so like who are the people you know at your kids schools who are the people you get on with who are the people that you have like kin relationships with old friends or friends that are easy to be around friends that you could call and say could you have the kids you know someone's not well or I've got to be somewhere else whatever it is normalize kind of sharing meals with families and if people have babies just bring them food just make that a normal a normal thing and it, it's less about the food but about the like psychological netting of that to say like we are around you and we are conscious of what you're going through and we can't be with you in the house, but we are with you. We're thinking about you. We're holding you in mind. And I think that, I mean, knowing like our friends down the road that I could call in the middle of the night and, you know, if I needed to is, is hugely, hugely comforting but when we first moved here and we didn't have that the psychological isolation of that is is really quite crippling at times and can make you feel really anxious and so don't underestimate even just the the putting in place of these communities and what that does for us in terms of our well-being yeah do lift clubs with friends and share childcare when you can over school holidays if you both work do fun things together do joyful things like not just childcare sharing but how can you on like a weekday have a meal share so on a thursday you know you have a switch around and sometimes they come to you and sometimes they you go to them and you make their kids a meal i think that's something about that for parents is also just so so comforting model asking for help so let your children see you asking for help let them feel that that's a normal thing to do say those things out loud so you're just kind of narrating what happens in moments like oh no our car's broken down I'm gonna phone Daniela and say can you come and help us so I'll as much as possible try to to model that we also talked with the kids about wider families so these are the people in our family listing the names these people are close by these people are further away this person's really good at that this person has always had a like a soft spot for you and you've always had a close bond like really actively weaving those communities for children so they have the language and like the psychological spacing of, of those families, I think is important. Talk about your relationships. Talk about things when they are hard, not just when they are good. Talk about why they are difficult. Talk about the a key shame parts of it with people that are safe. And that gives them permission to talk to you when things are difficult. And, you know, it it will affect the meaning making again of like, okay, this is a difficult time versus this relationship is doomed there's no hope for it you know as opposed to these things sort of ebb and flow and that's really normal and really okay and yeah share some of that with people normalize lived in homes and not perfect homes and huge piles of washing and that also that will ebb and flow different times of the year and different times of like energy and and need so yeah like watch what's happening to you if you're spending a lot of time on social media and seeing the 1% of people's lives that look very kind of put together and very seamless and easy and notice what that does to you internally and what it's the pressures it kind of places on you. Think about some of the things that you've absorbed or not absorbed. So think about some of the the stories and beliefs you hold around what families should look like, what relationships should look like what parenting should look like for various ages so when you have tiny babies what what do you imagine that should look like and why like are those be curious and open about what it is that you believe you don't have to be judgmental of it but just to say oh interesting like i wonder where that's from you know is this something that i've filled like a loneliness void with like I haven't seen it done and so I've just imagined it in this incredibly difficult version <laughs> so yeah have a like a clear out of some of those beliefs and a bit of an interrogation about what is useful like what are the thoughts that keep popping up in your mind and what are those thoughts doing to the way in which you're being in a relationship the way in which you're being a parent and be quite brutal about almost decluttering those and saying if this is not a helpful belief for me, I need to let go of this, and then a calling in around, okay, how do I reframe this, what what feels useful to me, what feels nurturing to me, and what do I need, like, in this situation, what do I, what am I missing, and what do I need to ask for, either from self or from somebody else, so yeah, it's like about building narratives and moving away from this idea of these self-contained families that just, just, like a really unhelpful myth and that we can't just keep extracting 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 from ourselves and from our kids and and the planets it's just like it's not it's not a way like we can't continue in this way but there are lots of things we can do lots of small daily hopeful things and yeah I'd love to hear what your small daily things are what the things you commit to to doing and I would say start really, really small, like don't do a giant overhaul and then feel overwhelmed in a different aspect of your life is that's not helpful. But maybe like one small thing over the next kind of quarter, what do you decide around school holidays? Do you just have one day of shared childcare or one day of shared meals or like, you know, someone's had a baby, bringing them like some proper nurturing food and commit to one small thing, or just having one extra conversation with friends or family about how things actually are, and not sort of filtering and censoring out too much, and being okay with that, like, that you're not asking for things to be fixed or taken away, but that you're just sharing, you know, how, like, what your experience is. Okay, lovely ones, I think I'll leave it there. I hope you have good weeks, and I'll be back next week with another podcast. All right, get in touch if you would like to discuss this further or if you are hoping to do some work together, either individually or as a couple. I have space in January and February, so do get in touch. Okay, lots of love. Bye. I hope you found that episode helpful. If you would like to download the worksheet, um, you can go to the links in the show notes and there you can download it there for free. If anything in um, this episode has really sparked something for you and you would like to do some work with me, um, I have space for one-to-one sessions at the moment as well as couple work. Um, so get in touch and we can book in a chat to see if we're a good fit. Okay, see you next week. Bye.